I got to ask one more and then uh, I want to do a Miami uh, sports bonus round. But the bow tie, talk to me about the bow tie. Where does the bow tie come from? How, how come you wear a bow tie? And, and yeah. So, you know, this has only been about um, eight years or so wearing a bow tie. I was wearing regular ties forever. And one night I was uh, on the weekend evening uh, weather. And I also was emceeing an event that night or I was doing something at an event. And I came back to do the weather and I have time to change. So I did it in my tux. And it was Christmas time and the bow tie and everything else. And I got a lot of feedback, positive feedback. So I said, hmm, let me uh, do this again tomorrow night. So I went and got, and I didn't, I didn't know how to tie a bow tie at that time. So I got the kind that not clip on at the front, but you know, wrap around your neck like a formal tie. So I got a couple of those and I said, let me do this. So I started wearing those. Uh, my general manager, I remember at the time, he came over, he says, so is that just for the holidays? Uh, underlying small print was, hope you're not going to continue to do this. And I said, well, no, we'll see how it happens. And the, the women love it, Jerry. The women love it. And he says, hmm, and he walked on out. And uh, it just got something that people just enjoy. And I got to enjoy it. And I, I realized that the variety of ties is not the kind that are pre-tied, but the ones that aren't. And so I said, well, I can probably tie a tie. And I went to go try to tie it based upon the instructions. There was no way I could do it. And I went to YouTube. And there was a 10-year-old kid demonstrating how to tie a bow tie. And I said, oh, oh I, I'm getting this. This is something I'm so an hour later with my arms so tired from being up right here, I can do it. And now I can tie with my eyes closed and I still know how to tie the other ties as well. People see me at Home Depot. They say, hey, where's your bow tie? I said, do you mind if I don't wear a bow tie? We're going to cut the grass, please. <laughs> so it just became that. And it gives me an opportunity to do a lot of mixing and matches with my clothes and stuff like that. I like dressing nicely if I can. And uh, the bow tie is a pretty good way to do it. Just kind of unique, a little different. But uh, it's a, it's a uh, fashion statement and a, and a conversation point at the same right time. All right. This next segment, uh, we're going to queue up the Miami Vice uh, music for. Um, you got to Miami, South Florida in 85. And my, 85, 85. Miami Vice had just debuted the year before. Uh, the University of Miami is, what, halfway through their decade of dominance. Jimmy Johnson's the coach. Uh, I hate to say this, but Dan Marino had just lost his first Super Bowl, and we thought there was going to be so many more. Um, uh, yeah. Don Shula is in the peak of his career, and um, the youth, yeah. the local youth talent around was unbelievable, if you think about it. from, I mean, basically future pro stars like Alex Rodriguez, Jennifer Capriati, and Mitch Richmond were all going to school in that period. Pretty incredible time. Right. Alonzo Highsmith. Yeah. Yeah. Alonzo Highsmith was there as well. Um, who's the kid who was uh, the pitcher? You said you did say you said Alex Rod, yeah, Capriati right. and Mitch Richmond were down. the three that I could think of that sort of in three different professional sports that would shine uh, in different ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Blades brothers, Benny and Brian Blades, up in Fort Lauderdale, and and uh, and 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 Michael Irvin. They were all from that area, and there are plenty others who neither one of us are naming at the moment who were all from. South Florida either grew up there or went to the University of Miami and became a mm -hmm. part of the community as a result mm -hmm. of all that. But that was a great, yeah, I landed at a great time, a great spot. And my station was the sponsor of the Don Shula show and the Jimmy Johnson show. And as the sports director, I was one who hosted those shows. 
So it gave me a great opportunity to get to know Don Shula well, gave me a great opportunity to know Jimmy Johnson well and his successor, uh, uh, Dennis Erickson, after that, uh, and to have really close opportunities to interact with their players. Um, you know, Vinny Testaverde, who was a Heisman Trophy winner, Gino Toretta, those guys. It's neat to be with those guys who are elite athletes. Dan Marino, who I got to know pretty well and became uh, the co-host, the host of his Dan Marino fan trip to Disney World every year. And that's when I would go and I'd take a whole duffel bag full of equipment. He would sign it all for me. So I would use that for auctions at my golf tournament that I had to raise money for a couple of uh, organizations. And... The one thing that people will, most people don't know is that I was on the receiving end of a Dan Marino pass and <laughs> dropped it. I know. It's a, it's a story of my life. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Disney World, we're doing something. He said, Cambrell, go out, run a post. I go out, I run, I run, I turn, and, the, and just like Dan Marino, the ball is there where, I, where it's supposed to be. And it hit me in the bad place. You in know where hands? that place is? Right in the hands. <laughs> oh. Dropped ball. But uh, it was just great to be there during that period of time. It was fascinating. You think about that. You know, the, the being on the sidelines in the orange ball when the Miami Dolphins took on the Chicago Bears, Monday night football, the only loss the Bears had that year. Are you kidding me? Standing there on the sideline with Rick Shula was coaching, obviously, and you had Kick and Zonka and, and all the guys who were part of the 72 team. That was some good stuff. And after that, of course, when we got the franchise for the Miami Heat and the franchise for the Florida Panthers, the franchise for the Florida Marlins, all that happened when I was there. I was in, I think by the time the Panthers came, I was uh, I was out of sports by then. But there was so much going on from that mid-80s to the mid-90s. Tons happened that changed the land, sports landscape of South Florida forever as a result of that period of time. It was really moved, exciting. Uh, the Orange Bowl obviously becomes just the home of the Hurricanes and the Dolphins moved to uh, to Joe Robbie Stadium in the 88-89 period too. Yeah. And Yep. 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 And when you when you hear somebody say Joe Robbie Stadium, that lets you know, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> your age. Because that's all we remember. Because remember when Joe built that, it was like it was the first stadium in a long time that anybody had done. I mean, he did it. He had a lot of uh, financing to get it done and stuff like that. And everybody thought, oh, this is great. And he configured it because he was a soccer guy. So it would be a football in a soccer stadium. And uh, then, of course, when he died, the family was so dysfunctional that they couldn't figure out how to keep the money in. And so they ended up having to sell mm-hmm. to Wayne Heisinger, who then turned it into Blockbuster Stadium That's or right. something like that. I think and it was bought all of these. So, but I still have a baseball bat here at the house, Florida Marlins. Because I was a season ticket holder when they first came in. One of the initial season ticket holders have a baseball bat with my name on it. That's how classy Wayne Heisinger was. I don't know if he sent it out to everybody or he sent it out to media. But I got it and I said, okay, uh, this is good. There was a lot going on during that period of time. We, um, we, 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 we saw some hurricane championships mm-hmm. as well, football-wise. Um, What's your best Don Shula story? Let me see. They... What is your best Don Shula story? (laughs) Don um, knew how to smile when the camera was on. Uh, But he was a taskmaster, man. He was a taskmaster. He was tough, tough, tough. When I first got there, the first game I covered, I went in after the game was over and I went to where he was dressing and I went to go get an interview. He said, where the hell you been? 
Now, I remember I'd already taped a show with him. I already met him. I knew him. He said, where you been? The interviews were over. I'm thinking, I thought he's joking with me. He wasn't joking. They were telling me, no, they have one time to do an interview. That's it. I said, what? Oh, I didn't know that. And he did the interview with me because I didn't know the rules. Uh, but he was a tough taskmaster. The best Don Shula story that I have is, first of all, we did a number of specials. I have a very good friend of mine. His name is Mike Horvath. He lives in Dallas now. He was my sports producer in Miami. He'd been there forever. He grew up in Miami. And we did a, a one-hour special called uh, 20 Years of the Miami Dolphins. And it was celebrating the 20th anniversary of the undefeated season. So I got a chance to go around. We did interviews with all these guys. He did interviews with a lot of people as well. And so getting Don Shula on board with that. But later on, we were doing a story at his house. On, I forget the story we were doing, but it was a, uh, an hour special we were doing. I'm at Don Shula's house in Miami Lakes. There's Don Shula, his wife, Dorothy, his first wife, Dorothy, uh, all of the kids and their kids in his house with me. Don Shula, it was, it was like, remember the movie, remember the Godfather when he's out there chasing around his kid in the garden and whatnot? That's what it was like. Don Shula with his grandkids was just like everybody else's grandfather, but nobody ever saw that. And I told him, I said, you keep this up, man. People are going to think you're a softie. <laughs> he said, well, my grandkids are concerned I am. I said, well, okay. So there was Mike Shula, David Shula, all, both of his daughters, and uh, their kids were all there. It was, it was fascinating. It was a great, I'm so glad. And it was a year later that Dorothy uh, got sick, had cancer, and she, she died maybe two years after we did that, I think. And so I'm so glad I was able to do that. Are you a fan now that you and, couldn't uh, be a fan before? Uh, I know as, as a sports writer myself, I, I was always struggling with, uh, you know, you can't cheer in the press box. So what's that like now when you're not covering sports? Um, you know, I, I have gotten out of, you're right. When you're a sports guy, you can't, no cheering in the press box. You just can't do it. So I watch games with analytical thoughts in mind. I always Thought about okay, that was first and ten, that was third and five. Whether it was how many yards they have so far, and I, you know, never really got into the emotional part. Now uh, I just appreciate good sports, like the Super Bowl just recently. I didn't care who won. I was pulling for Jalen Hurts because he's from Channel View here in the Houston area, but I love Mahomes, uh, 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 and I just want to see a good football game. And I love the game. I just love sports. I still love it. I don't love it like I used to. I never enjoyed doing X's and O's type stuff for the guys who love trivia and talk about, oh, who lived? 1965. Yeah, I don't care. You know, throughout my career, I got a chance to cover Gordie Howe when he was with the Hartford Whalers when they had all the Howe brothers. And one time on the Hartford Whalers team, I was the first guy to do a story from the Joe Lewis Arena in Detroit when they built that, covered the, the, the Detroit Red Wings when they were in the old Olympia building there. So many sat had dinner with Ernie Banks and Joe Garagiola at the same time in Mesa, Arizona. When Joe, when Ernie Banks is asking me information about where his kids ought to go to school to learn how to do sports. I mean, what? 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 Met Muhammad Ali, had dinner with Muhammad Ali once and had lunch with Muhammad Ali another time. Who does that? I got a poster upstairs in my office upstairs with a somebody made a big poster of me doing this and champ. Doing that. So we had that pose, Muhammad Ali. It was like mm. Arthur Ashe got me my job with HBO doing the TVKO sports that I did from 1991-ish or whatever it was, doing pay-per-view boxing. That was because of uh, Arthur Ashe, who me and me might have known this, he wintered at Doral. He was the official 
tennis pro at Doral. So in the winter, he stayed at Doral. When the Doral Ryder Open happened, I was covering it, and I saw, I was walking, carrying the tripod, and then pff, going past me in a golf cart is Arthur Ashe. I turn around. He's making a U-turn to come back to tell me how much he enjoys my sports. You could have knocked me over with a feather. And later on, he called me up and he said, do you like boxing? I said, love boxing. He said, have you ever done boxing commentating? I said, no. He said, would you like to? I said, maybe. He said, send me your tape. Because then he did tennis for HBO Sports. They had breakfast at Wimbledon for HBO. And Seth Abraham was the president of HBO. And he says, they're going to start a pay-per-view boxing network and they're looking for a host. He said, if you give me your tape, send it to my apartment in New York, I'll hand carry it in to to Seth. Maybe we can see what happens. Got the job. So for... And we signed a three-year contract. I did two, and they folded it and did something else with it. But that's how I got my job with TVKO, pay-per-view boxing. And Arthur Ashe was just amazing. A few years later, I saw him at Madison Square Garden. We were doing a fight, and he reminded me. He had Seth was there, and he said, Seth, remember, I'm the one who got Cambrell for you. And Seth, and Seth Abraham said, well, what if he hadn't worked out? Arthur looked at me. He said, Cambrell who? I said, oh, man, just like that, dropped me in the grease, you know. So I cried like a baby when he died. Just cry. It was just what a fan, what a phenomenal man, gentleman, uh, groundbreaking uh, social activist on the front lines of desegregation in Virginia. Just a great, great man. And I got a chance to know him personally. So who does that? That's why I'm just so blessed to have done this business. That's why I love this business like I do whether it be sports or journalism, it just fits into exactly what you're doing, talking about love, journalism. I think I should stop it there. I could ask you a million more questions about a million more athletes. Uh, maybe we'll have you back on for another show. Um, Cambrell Marshall, it's been an honor and a pleasure to reconnect with you after all of these years. And uh, I thank you so much for, uh, for being with me here. Thank you for inviting me. Good luck with what's going on here. Hopefully I haven't been a, a kiss of death for you. And we can do bigger. You can do bigger and better things. But I uh, want to keep track of what you're doing. And hopefully you'll find the great kind of success you've had over your career so far. Thanks for asking me.